Thank you for checking out Real Talk Personal Finance. Shit's about to get real. Cashflow King with you today. And today in episode 59, we have the small and mighty real estate investor revisited. Yes, that's right. Before we get into today's show, just want to do a quick couple shout outs. First of all, I'd like to thank all of those that attended our recent meetup down in Mexico. We really appreciate it. Just kidding. We didn't have a meetup, although that would have been cool. But we were down in Mexico on vacation, really enjoyed our time there, and kind of spurred me to do some thinking. And, you know, when you're at the airport and you're waiting on your flights, or sometimes when you're on the flight and, you know, you got a lot going on there, you got some time to think, and sometimes you just can't get certain things out of your head. So I did a lot of thinking about the episode that I did relatively recently on the small and mighty real estate investor, and I decided to record today's episode just to do a revisited version of that. So first of all, I do stand by everything that I said in that particular episode, and if you haven't listened to it, please go back and check it out. I think it was a good one. Of course, my opinion's biased because I made it. (laughs) But anyway, I ran some numbers, sort of some back of the napkin numbers in the airport and just opened up one of those notes files on my phone. I had my time value of money calculator going and flipping back and forth and taking down different numbers and making different assumptions. And I kind of sort of kind of sort of thought about things a little bit differently. And I wanted to just talk about that here today on the podcast. So again, if you haven't listened to the Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor podcast that I did previously, please go back and check that out. I think there's still a lot of information in there that will continue to resonate and hold true with, with myself and probably others. But as I ran through some of these numbers, I also sort of, I don't want to say had an epiphany, but it sort of brought me back. And I know I wish Cube Crusher was on here right now. And if he wants to debate me on this, buddy, I'm all ears. We can do a podcast, whether it's a premium episode. Premium. Or we can do a regular episode and talk about it. Because when the last one came out, he was kind of like, you know, this is what I've been trying to tell you all along. For the cash flow to be meaningful, those things need to be paid off, right? And that's kind of the thought process that I was thinking about in, in the way that I was going about things or, or thinking about things at that time, going down that road. And after doing some of these numbers, I actually kind of second-guessed it a little bit. And I went back to sort of my quote-unquote old way of thinking. And we'll, we'll talk about that today. So again, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the idea of only growing as big as you need to to meet the goals that you have. I think that's fine. But I wanted to put some numbers to that. If you remember back to the last episode that I did, the original episode on this, it was about, okay, well, I actually need to sit down and do that math and figure out how many properties that would be and back into the numbers, the Stephen Covey comments, so on and so forth. And so I started to do that sort of looking ahead, say 10 years or so, right? I just kind of use that as a baseline. And I'm not gonna go through the specific numbers necessarily. I'll tell you a little bit about some of my assumptions But just kind of as an exercise here, you know, this is how I was thinking about it. I said, all right, look, here's where we are now. If I want to fast forward 10 years from now, and with the properties that we currently have, the single family rentals that we currently have, I do nothing but continue to pay those mortgages or effectively or essentially my tenants are paying those mortgages as scheduled with no prepayments and not killing any mortgages based on the amortization schedules where does that put us in 10 years? 
And I came up with the total, tallied up those numbers, and I had that number. And then I said, okay, if we take a look at the average monthly rent across the single family portfolio, what does that look like? And I got a number. And I rounded it down just a little bit to be conservative. And then I said, all right, let's go ahead and increase that with a modest 2% rent growth assumption to come up with the new monthly average. This is what the rents are likely going to be in say 10 years, right? And so, you know, I did my calculations. I came up with a different number. Here's what the gross rents are scheduled to be at that time. And then of course I back out property management fee. I basically look at some of the other expenses, made some assumptions there. Of course, this is not gonna be exact. Came up with a number and then said, okay, if we had to discount that back for inflation into the present, at a 3% inflation factor, what's the present value of that number, right? And came up with you know what that would look like. So it was essentially fast forward 10 years with those conservative rent growth assumptions and where are we, right? That was kind of part one of the exercise. Then I took a look at the syndications that we're in and made some assumptions there. Quite frankly, there's some right now that I don't wanna say I'm getting my ass kicked, but it's hard to say where things are gonna shake out. I think we might have talked about this before. You know, a lot of the syndications have suspended distributions. So if you're used to getting a monthly or quarterly distribution, a lot of those have been put on pause. Others haven't. In fact, there's one that's in the process of increasing theirs by the end of this year. That's a whole separate story. If you're a premium subscriber, you probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, premium subscribers, we had something come out recently on Cashflow King's Favorites. And for those of you that are premium, you'll know exactly who I'm alluding to. And if you're not premium, you should consider it because it has some pretty good perks. I'm actually thinking about doing a year-end giveaway to anybody that is a premium subscriber. Currently, the subscription is five bucks a month. I might do some specials on that. might bring it down a little bit. I have to stay within the parameters. The Buzzsprout pretty much sets for everybody. But I am thinking about doing something for our premium subscribers, maybe some type of drawing or something like that coming into the end of the year. So if you're not yet premium, in addition to the benefits that you get, if you become premium, you know, you can be entered into that. If you're not sure about what those benefits are, just check the show notes. There'll be a link in there about becoming a premium subscriber today. And if you click on that and take a look on the side there, there's some bullet points and it will talk to you all about what becoming a premium member looks like. But anyway, so I took a look at the syndications and said, all right, there's some that aren't doing that great. And there's some that are doing just fine. Let's go ahead once again and make some assumptions. And so for a few of them, it was, hey, let's just pretend that I got my money back. And I had zero gain, right, in these. And then I just redeployed that money into other ones that were likely to do better over that 10-year period. And then the ones that are doing okay and that I have a lot of faith in for many different reasons, I said, all right, let's make some assumptions about what that looks like over time and forecast the future value of those investments in 10 years. And so at the end of the 10-year period, we have what are the totals in terms of exited syndications. And they're obviously not all gonna exit at the same time. But we're making the assumption that within that time period, that's we're gonna end up with a certain amount of money. And so for these internal rates of return or average annual rates of return, a lot of the syndications are forecasting higher than this, some of them much higher than this. But to be, again, conservative with these assumptions, I went ahead and ran the model out at a 10, excuse me, at a 12% IRR over a 10 year period. And then I ran it again at a 15% to come up with a couple of different numbers there, okay? And that might sound a little high to most people that are probably used to, myself included, strictly investing in the stock market, right? You're gonna hear numbers probably more in the seven, 8% range, something like that. But for a lot of these real estate deals, for reasons that we've talked about on other shows, 
a lot of times those numbers can be quite a bit higher. So 12 and 15, I think, are definitely in the ballpark. So I did that math. And where does that put us in 10 years, let's say? And I came up with three different options. And again, I'm trying to keep this as high level as possible because I got a pretty long list here on my, on my phone. And so, like for example, acquisitions. If we were to buy additional single family rentals, I have, okay, if we bought one every, you know, so often at this interest rate and the purchase price goes up by 5% a year and mortgages are at this and it gets a little bit in the weeds. So I'm going to kind of gloss over that. But I ultimately came up with three main options at the end of it. And I'm trying to scroll to see where I was. Okay. So option number one was to continue to acquire additional single family rentals. And then at the end of that 10 year period, take the syndication money right, that we did those estimates for, and kill all the mortgages. Pretty much just wipe out the debt on the entire portfolio. And at this point, you have nothing deployed in syndications. You only have the single family rentals or potentially small multifamilies, you know, the turnkeys paid off. What's that look like? And that was sort of option number one. Then I did option number two and said, okay, what if we just stuck with what we had for now? We did not continue to acquire any more single family rentals for the next 10 years. We simply had that money in syndications deployed, the existing rentals stayed as is and continue to do their thing. And then at the end of it, we take some syndication money, kill the mortgages on the existing rentals. Again, we've now fast forwarded 10 years into the future. So those mortgages have amortized down a little bit. And then we had a chunk left over to reinvest into future syndications, which by the way, I made some assumptions on that and I actually took it down even further and assumed a 10% rate of return on the future syndication investments. That was option two. So keep the single family portfolio, no new acquisitions, use the syndication money at the end of 10 years to kill the mortgages at that time, and then take the leftovers and plow it back into syndications. That was option two. And then finally, option three was you have the existing homes, the single family rentals, you keep all the mortgages exactly as is. You instead reinvest the entire amount at the end of the 10 year period that came from syndications back into syndications, again, at the same 10% rate of return, let's say. And you keep the single families leveraged with loans and with debt on them and just use the cash flow from that and add those two together. And at the end of this analysis, again, kind of back of the napkin type of math, but I did use, you know, time value money calculator and try to get it as close as I could with reasonable assumptions. No one knows for sure what's going to happen. Surprisingly, option number one, which was add single families and then take the syndication money and kill all the mortgages. That was the worst one. So under that initial episode of the small and mighty real estate investor, buying only as many as you need and then getting them all paid off, that's certainly a viable option. But that actually came out with the lowest monthly cash flow amount. Now, with that said, you could also argue that that option likely has the lowest quote unquote risk because you now have no debt in the portfolio. And for some people that might work just fine. Option two also has no debt in the portfolio. You didn't add any single family rentals. You just kept what you had and killed the mortgages. So that portfolio is also debt free. But because you didn't add any new homes that had new mortgages that you had to pay off in 10 years, then basically you had some money left over to plow back into syndications. And that was the second best option in terms of monthly cash flow. So again, debt-free portfolio, but you didn't expand the single family rental portion 
you just took the excess and invested in syndications. And then finally, as you might expect in option three, which was keep the single family rentals that you have, but keep the mortgages and plow the whole syndication pile back into syndications, that came out with the highest projected monthly cash flow amount. And you may also say, and be quick to say, hey, cash flow king, that also has the most risk because that is the only one of the three options that has debt. And I would say you are correct. However, as we've talked about many times on the show, if you have long-term fixed interest rate debt that is reliably outsourced to tenants in the form of rentals, anything can happen. But if you have that and you have adequate cash reserves and you have other investments that are going, yes, some of them might go to hell in a handbasket, but more than likely you're gonna be able to weather the storm. So none of these options basically allows you to take your foot off the gas tomorrow. But the more and more I've thought about this, I actually think, and again, I don't have to make the decision yet. I'm still in growth mode or accumulation mode, but I really do think that I'm starting to go back to my initial thought, which is why the hell would you pay off mortgages at those low interest rates? Even if you wanted to wipe out the debt on the portfolio and get the cash flow numbers up, you actually make it harder on yourself by doing that. And when I say make it harder on yourself, if you want to get those things paid off or paid down, you have to either just completely kill the mortgages, which is probably what I would do if I were ever to do that, or you start prepaying them, which I wouldn't do. And if you're not sure why, go back to the power of your mortgage show where we talked about that a little bit. But I would actually say that I'm probably going to go back to my initial thought, which is keeping the mortgages in place and not being in a rush to pay anything off. Because if you can grow capital on average at a higher rate than the debt is costing you, you're winning from a positive financial arbitrage standpoint. And even though you may technically have debt on the balance sheet, there's a difference between having it paid off and having it effectively paid off. And depending on how the rest of things are structured, you can make the argument that if you wanted to at any point in time, flip the switch or push a button and have it paid but choose to have that money invested instead at a higher yield, hopefully, then that might be the route that somebody chooses to go. So I just wanted to record this really quick because I sort of revisited the thought of keeping it a little bit smaller and getting it all paid off. I actually don't think I'm gonna do that. I think the quote unquote safer way, if you do it right, is to strategically and slowly grow over time and build an asset base that gets so large that it basically doesn't matter what the debt looks like. I'm not gonna rush to plow money back in from the rentals and the cash flows or rush to earn more money at my day job or whatever, just to bury it under a mortgage and just stunt any future growth on it. I'd rather carry the mortgage, try to grow that capital and then have options and decisions later. And I don't think that's necessarily anything different than what I said in the beginning, but I think when I ultimately do get to that point and, and we'll have to get there to see what happens, but when I do eventually fast forward and I have to make that decision, I'm actually starting to think that maybe I won't go ahead and pay everything off. Maybe I'll just keep it as is. So I was really surprised by that because I thought, well, if we continue to scale and continue to add properties and you know, coincidentally add mortgages and whatnot, that that actually might be one of the strategies that proved to be reasonable. But the more I've thought about it and the more I dug into the numbers a little bit, and again, this is all kind of at the airport or on the plane, but I'm actually starting to think, you know what? I actually like those mortgages and 
I actually think I want to keep putting money into these syndications. And you know, this assumes that not another dollar is invested for the next 10 years. So anyway, I don't know how helpful that is to you guys. I know I didn't get into concrete numbers because I really don't think that's important. I think the concept is important. It doesn't matter if you're playing with a dollar, a million, 10 million, whatever, you know, the concepts for the most part are going to be the same, right? So anyway, that those are my thoughts as far as that goes. All right. Thanks so much for checking out the show. This is going to be a quick one. This is episode 59, the small and mighty real estate investor revisited. If you have any feedback, feel free to email the show at realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com. Again, that's realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out becoming a premium subscriber Premium for the benefits that you get and also for a giveaway that I'm going to plan to do towards the end of the year. And then finally, I know I kind of joked around about a meetup in Mexico, but Cube Crusher and I are heading out once again to, you guessed it, Las Vegas in the beginning of November. So anybody that's out in the Vegas area or that plans to be out or wants to come out to the Vegas area, feel free to email the show realtalkpersonalfinance at gmail.com. We'd love to meet you, grab a drink, throw some dice, play some cards. It'll be a good time. So anyway, that's all we got for today. Thanks very much for tuning into the show. We will see you in the next episode. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.